My biggest problem with the Bible is the book of Job. 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 Oh, we've got yeah. somebody here. Who? Who was written on Job? I know. It's. It's Catherine. Right. Catherine. She's at the door. She writes on Job. Here you go. <laughs> It's like biblical speed dating in there. It's just people sitting around tables. There's an incredible buzz in there. So we begin to talk about First um, Corinthians. Is it a second? A uh, one Timothy two eight yeah, to fifteen. Yeah. Huh? Oh, see, I should I should study more. No. <laughs> Today we have an event in Otley, which is a market town in West Yorkshire where we have invited members of the public to do a sort of equivalent of Gardener's Question Time, a event where people can ask whatever they've always wanted to know about the Bible but were afraid to ask. I'm Johanna Stiebert and I'm the organizer of today's event. that weird vision of the creature. Is it at the beginning of Ezekiel? You know, with the, the, the emeralds and, and the jewels and the many wings and all the rest of it. Is that God? So if you have that definition. Zachariah had his mouth shut for nine months, whereas Mary opened her heart to the world with the, with, the, with the, what do they call it? The, the Magnificent. That's right, I can never pronounce it. Magnificent. Magnificent. Yeah. Well, hello, I'm Jason McCullough. I'm the minister of this church, Bridge United Reformed Church in Otley. It's very exciting. We have 14 biblical scholars who are here for a conference at Leeds University, and they have offered themselves to be here today to answer any questions that people may have about the Bible. So when Johanna came to you with this idea, what did you think? Oh, I thought it was thrilling. I thought, how often do you get the opportunity to welcome scholars in, into your church? So I, I bit her hand off. I said, yes, absolutely, we'll make that happen. The hunger that my students have to go, oh my gosh, I haven't been given the permission to ask questions. And so I find so much of the teaching that I do is about giving permission. We sit there and we pull the text in front of us and we read it deeply and we say, what do you notice? What's here? What questions do you have? And that it's okay, that the questions are okay to go, this feels weird to me. Why is this weird? And like looking for the gaps and looking for all the things that don't make sense rather than trying to paper over it all and make it all convenient. The scholars are all people who have an interest in the Bible and activism, who care deeply about the impact of the Bible in the real world. There are a range of interests. There are people with particular interest in critical race theory, in the promotion of African-centered approaches, in gender-based violence, particularly in terms of opening conversations about gender-based violence and we have people interested in ecology and the Bible. So the big topics of our time and how the Bible can be used to 
talk about them, address them, and make things better. Well, we started off talking about misogyny in the Old Testament, particularly. Um, and it's emerged, you know, that um, in the New Testament there is misogyny as well, of course, but Jesus has a different perspective, doesn't he? And, and I, I think it's very interesting when you have a discussion like this and, and people produce their different ideas and you realise, yeah, I was thinking wrongly before and I see. So it's, it's very interesting. How do you think Jesus responded to reading those passages in the Old Testament, which we find rather distressing at the moment, don't we? Because we have different views. How do you think Jesus read stories like that? It's a great question. Yeah. I think one of the well, problems, one of the things I find is that Jesus, Jesus has to come out of any interpretation unscathed. Right? So it's, it's almost like whatever... What, what, with the inter interaction with the woman at the well or whatever, uh, we always impute or imply that Jesus is the Son of God and therefore he must, he's, he's faultless. So, uh, and that's a given almost, rather than saying, hang on a minute, there is, there is a possibility that he might be wrong about some of these things or he's a part of a context or something. It's really interesting when you say, you know, you're not a, almost don't feel like you have permission to say Jesus can come out of a story not unscathed. And I guess, again, it's about creating space, like opening up that space between us and the text to just kind of withhold judgment, but also engage our critical thinking skills, but also our critical feeling skills and our empathy. You say it's creating space. To some people, it's creating distress. Yes. Yes. What, what am I... I believe this all my life, and now you're telling me it might not be true. I mean, that's very distressing yeah. for some people. Yeah. And they can't cope with that. No, that's a really good point. Um, I think... I think there was a, there's a lot of interest, but quite a lot of nervousness. Mm. Um, I encourage people to ask questions all the time, so I think they're used to that. Um, but I think people, yeah, people have got lots of questions, but will they, will they be too silly? Will they not make sense? Um, but I think, yeah, quite a lot of people have turned up already, so I think they're, and I'm, I've talked to the scholars and they're very welcoming, so I think, yeah, I think people get a lot out of this. What questions have you heard? Oh, I've had uh, a question uh, from a lady who came with a whole book of questions she jotted down uh, in preparation for the event, and she had a question about gap creationism, of all things, about the reconciliation of the creation story in Genesis with what we know now about the enormous uh, span of time that uh, seems to lie between the events in verse one of Genesis 1 and verse 2 and 3 of Genesis 1. I've had questions about the crucifixion. Um, I've had questions about shame. That's a particular area of interest of mine, about what shame is and how it functions in the Bible. I had questions about apocalypticism. What does Daniel really mean? What is all this bizarre imagery about? about Gnostic Christianity, who were the Gnostics. It's really come from all directions here today. I thought it was incredibly intense. I was surprised at how many people were really, really interested in the questions. 
and I thought the answers to questions posed were very varied but all excellent quality. They were really, they went deeply as far as they could into surprise questions which weren't always easy questions to grapple with. I mean the last one was what is death? I mean go for it if you think you can answer that. Why do we live and then die? What's the purpose? At the end of the day, what have we achieved? Like in Ecclesiastes, it will tell you, life is like vanity or vanities. It's like chasing the wind. So why are we made to chase the wind? And why do we bother chasing the wind? And, you know, all these things, all these questions, you know, and then you go to the Bible, you try to look for answers, and the Bible tells you life is like vanity or vanities. I had a friend who used to ask these questions because she lost her mom when we were uh, in first year of university. So she used to ask us theologians, what is the purpose of life? Have we just come here so we can experience all, all these different emotions of being happy today and then crying our hearts out tomorrow? What's the purpose? What, what's so pleasing to God about all these things that he puts us through? That's what she used to say. So what's the purpose? And I still don't know what's the purpose. Do you know, Rosie? No, but you're the theologian. <laughs> <laughs> the reason why I'm a theologian is because I have these questions that I'm still asking. And I'm still looking for answers. And theology will continue to exist as much as religion will always exist. That's exactly what we, the discussion we had earlier on about religion. What is the point of religion? It's because we are limited. It is because we have these questions. And as such, humanity will always be religious because we are limited. Yeah, I asked this young lady, by the way, what's your name? Holly. Holly. I asked Holly, uh, is made all, uh, God's made all these covenants with men. Why hasn't he made a covenant with a woman. Yeah. Well, it, it did make a covenant with ladies in a lot of ways. Think about it, like the Holly says, if I heard it right, was that basically men can't do without women for certain, otherwise the, the world would not survive. So that's, that's just one theory that's been put forward by a couple of scholars. Um, so Rachel Havelock's idea is that the kind of childlessness that women in the Hebrew Bible in Genesis particularly experience and then the way that they kind of overcome that through protest, that Havelock sort of frames that in a kind of in a kind of covenant context, sort of saying that just in the same way that men have this kind of ongoing conversation with God through covenant, so too do women like Sarah. I think there are limitations to that though, right? So that's still a kind of patriarchal framework where we uh, Jamie, do you have anything else to add? <laughs> we had such such nice, fascinating conversations. We're talking about the importance of reading in a culturally sensitive way. So Thank you. Yeah. Recognizing that the culture in which the Bible, the books of the Bible were written, isn't necessarily our culture, and yeah. therefore reading, being able to read, and there was a. Robert gave a really wonderful um, idea for me that I will definitely take away, which is that the gospel gives a freedom. Well, but that freedom can be, it's a bit like the cave analogy, you know, the freedom itself can be quite scary. And so some of the writers from the early church, like Paul in some of those letters, where they're saying things that we now in our culture find quite problematic, 
was actually dealing with people who'd been given a freedom and who needed some basic kind of ground rules with which to navigate the freedom that they'd been given doesn't negate the freedom. And I think I find that a really helpful way of reading. So, yeah, I think that's, that's something I'll definitely take away. I just love that you said that but when we listen to those that we haven't listened to before and there are a lot of people like that aren't there? Yeah. And we're in a very transitional time aren't we? In terms of language and the way in which we, we view all these things in order to make them authentic for people who are all kinds of people in all kinds of situations. You know, class, colour, creed, gender. It's incredible and very challenging. Yeah, there was also an earlier question just about noticing certain gaps within, say for instance, um, the Gospels and how one Gospel writer can portray the life of Jesus, whether that be the earlier life of Jesus in a particular way and then reading maybe a different Gospel writer focusing on a different um, part of the life of Jesus and what that means. Does it mean that um, these gaps are so incongruent that it somehow questions our faith in that, um, in, the, in the sanctity of that book, the Bible? Or does it allow us to reimagine um, the Bible in a way, and I think it was uh, Jamie that was saying, the intricacies and the complexities of the Bible uh, and looking at it as, as a tapestry, right? That from the get-go opens up for nuance. We had somebody who was obviously a vicar. We had somebody who said, well, I didn't, I've not come from a church background. I'm, you know, um, I've got sort of open mind more towards agnosticism. So, yeah, nobody who said I am out and out down a track but there was a, a confession of Christianity from most of them. But I bet if I tried to pin them down on what that really was, it would have been a wide variety of practice of their Christianity in life, which again, really helpful, because that's, that's reality. They were big questions, and they're very hard to answer. Very interesting, coming from different perspectives. And some of the perspectives were much more laid back than I'd expected, and which was very refreshing. What people were sort of happy to sit with not knowing? Sitting with not knowing, but also um, relating to, to God in a less than prescriptive way. I liked that. You know, that you, you ought to have your mind open to possibilities rather than feeling that um, you were going to be down a track. What have you learnt? Oh, it's been really fascinating. Most of what I do is teach students and I set the agenda, I teach the lectures, I have you know, free reign over the material I teach. What today has been about is about hearing what members of the public want to hear about. So I've learned a whole lot about what interests people, what questions they have, what doesn't make sense to them. And that's been incredibly valuable and it might well redirect how I teach and what I teach. <laughs>